Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to continue with our search for understanding as we probe Jesus' favorite and famous topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We were pointing out that the Jesus of our Bible is more than someone who died for the sins of the world and rose again, although those great facts of the Christian faith, of course, are essential. Jesus was, in addition, the preacher of the saving gospel about the kingdom of God. He came into Galilee as the bearer of a good news or gospel message, and he urged his audiences to repent, that's to say, to reorientate their whole lives in a new direction, to seek out a new horizon, to change their thinking and their lifestyle, and dedicate themselves to what he called the gospel or good news concerning the kingdom of God. In using the term kingdom of God, Jesus would certainly have evoked in that first century Palestinian environment the image of the famous day of the Lord announced by all the prophets of Israel. There was coming a time in history, so said the prophets of ancient Israel, when God would wrap up the affairs of our present evil society on earth and he would replace it with the government instituted and organized and controlled by his own Messiah, his chosen king, the anointed one of Israel. And so you see, the gospel, as Jesus brought it, was both good news and bad news, both a promise and a threat, a promise and a menace, if you like. It lays out before us the two possible destinies for mankind, either to be ushered into the barn of the kingdom of God as wheat, or to be consigned to destruction in what Jesus called the lake of fire or Gehenna. Now, according to Matthew's account of the teaching of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, before Jesus, had made exactly the same announcement. In Matthew 3, verse 2, we read that John the Baptist announced the coming in the future of the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And there's absolutely no distinction at all between those two terms. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are interchangeable and alternative phrases for the same phenomenon, the same future event, the coming of the kingdom. John the Baptist spoke of the coming of the kingdom as being a time when the wheat, the good people that is, would be gathered into the barn of the kingdom and the wicked would be destroyed as chaff. You'll find that laid out in chapter 3 of Matthew. But Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew 4 verse 17 announced the same kingdom of heaven. The terms of the two destinies laid out before mankind are the same. Jesus offers life forever in the future kingdom, and both Jesus and John threaten with extinction those who fail to repent and turn to God in view of his great plan and design. Such is the simplicity of the gospel message, but it's become awfully confused by the introduction amongst many churchgoers of terminology which seems to divert our attention in another direction entirely. You see, Jesus never spoke of the future of the Christian as heaven or as going to heaven. He never said that so-and-so has gone to heaven. He always invited his followers to work towards the kingdom of God, to inherit, to obtain, and to enter the kingdom of God. That's the way Jesus lays out the objective of the Christian faith. And so it's very confusing to speak of Christians going to heaven. They should rather speak of entering the kingdom of heaven, which is a different thing. 
because the kingdom of heaven is related to the planet, to this planet. The planet is indeed renewed in the future, but nevertheless to this planet. But the term heaven seems to denote a region far removed from the planet, some super-celestial area to which imagined disembodied souls are taken at death. Now, that latter idea about souls disembodied, disappearing at death to a place beyond the skies, is alien to our Hebrew documents, to the New Testament itself. Heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying, so said a leading Cambridge scholar, Bible scholar, not too many years ago. And there are many parallel statements in authorized and recognized commentaries. Henry Alford, the great expositor of the 1850s in the last century, said that the earth clearly is the scene of the future blessedness of the righteous, not heaven in any ordinary sense of that term, but the earth renewed and purified by the advent of the Messiah in the future. That's the place designated for the righteous. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus. They're going to inherit the earth. And in quoting that famous Psalm 37, verse 11, Jesus simply relayed, reaffirmed and confirmed the great covenant promise made to Abraham that he would have the land or the earth forever. The promise of the kingdom of God in the gospel is simply the promise of the land, the great territorial promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12, and given an absolute seal of authenticity and approval by Jesus himself. Blessed are the meek. The earth is going to be their inheritance. Such is the way Jesus views future salvation. It wasn't blessed of the meek. They're going to go to heaven when they die. They'll find a place in heaven. That language is strange. It's alien to the very Hebrew-orientated documents of our Bible. Jesus was a Jew speaking in Jewish categories, in categories well understood by his countrymen. The notion of going to heaven as a soul when you die belongs to a period of time outside the New Testament records. And Bible readers will find it most helpful and enlightening to drop this language about when I get to heaven and so-and-so won't go to heaven and so on and to replace it with the biblical language about inheriting the kingdom of God on the earth in the future. Jesus, according to Revelation 5 verse 10, has gathered people of all nations and tongues, of all ethnic groups, and has formed them into a kingdom of priests. And then the text says, they shall reign as kings upon the earth. Why don't we hear that language as describing the objective of Christianity? What a tremendous return to biblical faith would take place if we would start using the very words of Jesus, our rabbi, as well as our Savior and our King. One of the great keys to intelligent Bible study is to abandon our own traditional language about going to heaven when we die and to join Jesus and the apostles with their language about inheriting the life of the age to come or inheriting salvation in the future, inheriting the kingdom of God or indeed inheriting the earth. If you check the word inherit, for instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus in Matthew 5 verse 5 spoke of inheriting the earth. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the land or the earth. Describing there the great territorial promise made to Abraham, confirmed in Psalm 37 verse 11, 
and reaffirmed and confirmed by Jesus himself in that famous beatitude, namely that the meek are going to have the earth as their inheritance. And then in Matthew 25, you'll find that Jesus welcomes those who are destined for future salvation into the kingdom of God prepared for them. He doesn't welcome them into heaven. He welcomes them into the kingdom. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those are the plain words of Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 34. Listen in, for example, on a conversation between a Jewish young man and Jesus in Matthew 19. Notice the total absence of language about what shall I do to go to heaven or how do I gain a place in heaven. Here's the way they expressed it in the Bible and it would be so much easier and so much less confusing if we would adopt biblical language instead of our own post-biblical tradition. Matthew 19 verse 16 reads like this, Behold, a man came to him and said, Rabbi or teacher, what good thing shall I do so that I may obtain the life of the age to come? As many commentators point out, that's a good Jewish expression, the life of the coming age of the kingdom. Very inadequately translated, I may say, as eternal life. It's much more specific than that. It refers to the life of the future age of the kingdom. Now, Jesus replied in Matthew 19, verse 17, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And he was referring there, of course, to the Father, making a distinction between himself and the one and only true God of Israel, his Father. But if you wish to enter life, Jesus said, keep the commandments. And then the young man asked which, and Jesus listed some of them. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus' reply was this, If you wish to be mature or complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And there you'll notice that the kingdom of heaven is exactly the same as the kingdom of God. These are interchangeable, convertible terms. The one means exactly the same as the other. The disciples in verse 25 said, how then can anybody be saved? Oh, so to inherit the kingdom of God, to enter the life of the age to come, and to be saved, all mean the same thing in this context. But verse 28 provides yet another description of the objective of Christianity. Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, that's to say when the world is going to be reborn, when the Son of Man is going to sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon twelve thrones to administer the twelve tribes of Israel. Now there you have Jesus' description of the future life. Notice the absolute absence of anything about going to heaven. 
or disappearing to realms beyond the skies. What Jesus offered the apostles here, and he offers in principle to all followers of the Messiah, was a concrete and specific reward related to this planet. In the new age, Jesus said, when the world is reborn, when the Son of Man comes to sit on his throne of glory, then you, disciples, also will sit upon twelve thrones to administer the twelve tribes of Israel. Now that promise of a concrete empire for Israel with the apostles administering the twelve tribes was exactly what the prophets of Israel in our Hebrew Bible had predicted. In fact, that would be the coming to ultimate fulfillment of the great promise made to Abraham that he would one day inherit the earth and the world. And so inheriting the earth in Matthew 5, 5, inheriting the kingdom in Matthew 25, verse 34, ruling over the twelve tribes regathered in the land, all of these amount to a composite picture of the future reward for Christians. Again, nothing at all was said by Jesus about disembodiment in a region removed from this planet. Certainly the Christian reward is laid up now in heaven, but it's going to be manifested on this earth in the future. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God for your personal Bible study at home. Check our findings carefully by looking up the verses we've been referring to. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.